This is a Media Lab podcast. What would you do if we were all alone? What would you do if we weren't? Welcome to Explore, a fiction anthology podcast that transports listeners to worlds that mirror our own. My name is Andrew G. Cooper, and I'll be your host. You're about to listen to episode 8, The Overview Effect by Constantine X. Anastasakis. After a detour leads Adam into a strange encounter with Isaac, an enigmatic albeit charming drifter, he finds himself questioning everything he thought he knew about human existence, the universe, and our place in it. Explore is a site-specific podcast series. How does it work? You should be listening to this episode at the Family of Man Statues, a public art piece in downtown Calgary. Not in the city? Don't worry. You can still listen to the podcast whenever and wherever you like. For our more adventurous locals, you can find how to get to the location in the show notes or on our website at theaterjupiter.com explore. If you haven't already, we recommend you download the episode, grab your headphones, and set out into the city. Explore your world. Experience lore. Our lives are a litany of repetition and routine. We drive on the same roads, work the same jobs, talk to the same people, day in and day out. Sometimes for years. Sometimes our entire lives. We look up at the same stars at night, shifting imperceptibly in the unfathomably vast and mysterious black void of space, and think about how small and insignificant we are in the universe. But we're not insignificant. And it turns out, all it takes is one mildly inconvenient detour to permanently alter our perceptions about everything. I don't know if this worked, or if anyone out there is even listening, but but my name is Adam, and I, I desperately want to make contact with someone, anyone. So if you can hear me, I'm hoping we can connect. (laughs) Every day is the same. I snooze a a 5am alarm every 9 minutes until I roll out of bed half awake at quarter to 6. I shower while the coffee's brewing because I'm running late. I shave in a fogged up little mirror above the sink and gargle a swig of mouthwash before towel drying my hair, slipping my still damp torso into a clean shirt and wriggling into a pair of jeans while trying to aim a stream of scalding hot coffee into a travel mug phone, wallet, keys, backpack, helmet, and I'm out the door by quarter after six. I wrestle my bike out of the overcrowded bike room and start my commute to work. This city has made strides in becoming more bike friendly, but despite how hard it tries and how adamantly people that don't even use them complain about how useless the bike lanes are, it's still got a ways to go. Bike lanes in the city are less of a comprehensive system of roads and more of a hasty circuit of crosswalks and detours connected loosely by a handful of hastily marked lanes with limited signage and flimsy pylons, dodging driver's side doors, navigating shared pedestrian lights, and don't get me started on the drivers! Sorry, I work at a local coffee shop, slinging coffees, steeping teas, 
Drop in espresso shots, steaming milk of every ilk, making the same insufferable small talk with the same impatient regulars and non-regulars and decafs and extra hot half-calf, non-fat, two-pump, sugar-free vanillas until about 4 p.m. I've been at this cafe since just after the pandemic restrictions lifted. Before landing this job, I'd been studying history and political science at the university. When lockdown ended, I took what I kept referring to as a sabbatical, which was in reality more of an indefinite hiatus, and I haven't made any plans to go back. I've been in what experts might call a funk. Lockdown made fair-weather friends with my anxiety, and as a result, I've spent a lot of time self-isolating. And the more time I spend alone, the harder it gets to be not alone. And the more daunting other people start to seem, and the more self-conscious I get when I fail to connect with even the most insignificant interactions, which in reality are basically slow, underhanded softball lobs to my poorly timed swings and inevitable misses that I end up replaying in my head over and over in high-def, ultra-slow-mo from different angles with cartoon sound effects and a live studio audience to either cringe or laugh uncontrollably as some kind of sick penance for letting that awkward goodbye last way too long, to the point where I felt like I'd overstayed the conversation because I couldn't find an elegant way to lie about leaving it. After work, I cycle my morning commute almost exactly in reverse. It's nearly the end of fall, meaning I've only got a few good weeks left before the first snowfall, which will mean taking public transit again, which makes me nervous because the pandemic introduced us all to these saliva droplets that linger in the air whenever we speak or breathe, which is a fact I can personally never unknow and gives me like low-grade ultraviolet vision to the point where I imagine a Jackson Pollock painting of mucus and spittle and spray on every surface I touch, which necessitates constant and vigorous hand sanitizing. When I get home, I lock the deadbolt and set the chain on the front door, nuke a frozen pizza, crack a beer, and play video games until I can't keep my eyes open. (sighs) Every day is the same. Which makes days that deviate, if not special, at least memorable. Suffice to say, it's been hard. (sighs) That's not true. Being alone was easy. Readjusting has been hard. But I'm ready now to connect. And it's all because of Isaac. I was biking home from work on my usual route when I was detoured by a new construction site at the mangled intersection that was once 12th Ave and 4th Street. I signaled with my arm and doubled back through Memorial Park to 13th Ave Southwest then northbound onto 1st Street Southeast, swearing under my breath as I recalibrated the GPS on my phone mounted onto the handlebars of my bike like the maidenhead of an old ship. Normally, I'd turn onto 5th Ave headed east and take Reconciliation Bridge across the river. But that day, I heard something. Like the grinding of an old motor or the thrumming of a hummingbird the size of an ostrich. Thinking at first it might be more construction, but the closer I got the more it sounded like a wolf howling in the gray daylight uh, accompanied by a chorus of buzzing cicadas. So I turned onto 6th Ave. As I got closer, I saw a figure, uh, a man, in a park populated by disproportionately tall human statues moving erratically in what looked like some kind of frenzied dance, periodically ducking and weaving between the legs of these towering, emaciated, naked giants congregated on the grass. I watched from the sidewalk, 
thinking I would stay a minute to make sure he was okay and then go home. But I, I couldn't just leave. Something held me there. And just as I was about to shake the feeling and pedal off, the man started climbing one of the statues. So I dismounted my bike, dug the surgical mask I kept in my back pocket like a safety blanket, and approached the man. Hey. Hey. Are you okay? Do you need me to call someone? The man shifted from his vantage point to get a look at me before slowly clambering down from the statue. His eyes were lucid, pale gray pools and set in a deeply weathered face, creased with laugh lines and crow's feet like lost pearls at the bottom of the ocean, sharply juxtaposed by a furrow of eyebrows, a net of matted salt and pepper locks curling out from underneath a ratty toque and a wiry beard like an overgrown bramble bush. D do you... Do you need me to call someone for you? Who are you going to call, bucko? The coppers? The doctors? Good luck. I, I just mean... You, you look like you might need... I don't know. Help? Look like, eh? <laughs> well, there are a lot of things that look like a lot of other things, but that aren't actually those things. The things aren't always what they look like, you follow? First tip's free, pal. Next one's gonna cost you a buck. <laughs> I'm just kidding. My advice ain't worth a buck. If you could spare a buck, though, I'd take it. That might even improve the quality of my advice. Not that you're asking me for it, but... Where was I? The man suddenly straightened up and stood stock still. Except for his eyes, wandering in their sockets and occasionally trying to shimmy up underneath his lids in pursuit of the thought he'd just misplaced. Before landing back on me and I have no idea how but for a full minute it was like we were tuned directly into each other's thoughts two wild animals unsure of which one of us was higher on the food chain until the man softened right you couldn't spare some change for a sandwich could you pal sorry I don't carry change you should always carry change but it's good to meet you all the same I'm Isaac he reached out his hand, as if to shake, as if there was any chance in hell I'd actually take it, even if there hadn't been a pandemic less than a year ago. It was a thick, gnarled branch of bulbous, yellowed knuckles and stubby, chewed-up fingernails. Everything he wore reeked of cigarettes, from his mud-stained corduroy slacks to his acid-washed denim jacket thrown over a threadbare hoodie and threaded onto a strand of knotted twine around his neck. He wore what at first glance looked like a jagged shard of quartz, an obelisk, murky white and glassy, with the pointy end dangling like a wonky compass needle. I pulled up my mask over my nose grateful for the excuse and said something like i'm ugh, the pandemic i'd rather not mm, first pandemic eh over just as soon as they begin but they never really go away well, nevertheless we can still know each other's names without the arbitrary ritual of holding each other's hands about it afterward <laughs> i thought about lying I thought, I thought about walking away, but something compelled me to stay. Adam, I'm 
Adam. Sure you are, but what's your name, son? <laughs> I'm kidding. I've never met an Adam before. I mean, a little on the nose, but okay, let's run with it. It's nice to meet you, Adam. Officially. Okay, great. Well, look, um, Isaac, if you're okay and not, you know, potentially a danger to yourself and others, I should be heading home. I appreciate your concern, young man, but I'm okay. That's a remarkable step, though. From Astrolopithecus to Homo sapiens sapiens in the short span of just a couple million years, and here you are, walking upright and talking words and interrupting strangers in parks and acting death rituals. Um, I'm sorry. Death rituals? Oh, don't play coy with me, young man. You should be proud of yourself. Just remember, evolution is a process. Always follows a paradigm shift. You keep chasing those new paradigms, kiddo. You got a long way to go, though perhaps not that long the way everything seems to be going. All the same, I wouldn't want to spoil the ending. What ending? Are you high? High? As in drugs? That's a good one. You know mankind has been using hallucinogenic drugs since before it harnessed fire. There's proof. How many of your spiritual religious doctrines were probably written under the influence of what government now classifies as a Schedule 3 narcotic? For how much you idolize your gods, it's a wonder you've outlawed the conduit like you're afraid you'll meet more of them that will openly contradict the one you based your laws on. <laughs> but you meant recreationally, so in that case, no, I'm not high. I gotta stay sharp. Yeah, you're looking pretty sharp. What were you doing, if you don't mind me asking, when I found you? Y you know, um, the death ritual? When you found me. I'm not even going to touch the colonial underpinnings propping up your language like an ill-fitting pair of suspenders holding up a codpiece. I wasn't someone lost, Adam, that needed to be found. But you asked what I was doing. Back home, we'd perform this ritual when we were near death in the company of our closest friends and relatives. It's like a living wake. You expel every last bit of life kicking around your old flesh bag, rend the corpse a husk, before returning what remains of it to the universe. Oh my god, you're not gonna kill yourself in this no, park, are you? I'm because I don't think I can handle something like that Adam, right now, you know? Adam, I'm not gonna kill myself. Death will take me when it's ready, it just feels like I'm on the brink these days. It's not a somber ritual, Adam. I chose this park because they remind me of my family. Well, let me introduce you. <laughs> I'd really rather that not. That one there, that's my sister. Her name was Abeya. As he said her name, he gripped the cloudy crystal hanging from the twine around his neck. She would chase me up the side of the mountain behind our home up through the ashy fields of Makinprat, trampling Amda plants on our way up. And then we'd roll down together, all covered in soot and bashed caliphs, laughing like mad things all the way down. The one holding the baby is Nyortta, our clan mother. And holding her shoulder is my mother, Enktoya. And holding her hand is my father, Vrykrain. And the one at the front is Prektken, our clan father. And these are my brothers and sisters, Ishkvar, Inkstak, Ilkshrom, and Amvrika. They've chosen this spot to perform the birth ritual for that little sack of potatoes clinging to Njordka's waist. The runt of the litter. 
Me. My birth name is Ishmaelk. Try saying that one three times fast. This is my family. Isaac reached up, gingerly running his hand along the statue that was his clan mother. Lost in a pleasant memory, his gaze fixated on the baby pressed against her hip. Look, Isaac, I just wanted to make sure you were okay. I know, pal. I told you I'm fine. But you're still here. Why? Why did you bother stopping at all? Because I thought you needed help. You looked like you needed help. Sure I did. And hell, maybe I do. But what made you stop? You were climbing the statues. I just thought maybe you weren't, I don't know, all there? Because I was acting outside the norm of acceptable public human behavior, blah, 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 and you felt the need to intervene in the interest of my safety, yada, 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 based on a metric gauge from what? Your your extensive experience with a mentally ill? (laughs) No, Adam, you were curious. Would you have intervened if it was out of your way? I don't know. It depends. On what, Adam? How involved you'd need to get? You'll stop if I'm screaming, but not if I'm ODing. Is that about right? What? No. I don't know. Honestly, probably not. Probably not. But I could have called someone for you. Why bother? People like you pretend they don't see people like me every day, Adam. Pretend we're invisible so they don't have to get their hands dirty because we're not their problem. Not until they encounter one of us freaking out in a park. Your culture's built on greed, buddy. You, you, you. And you wonder why you're alone in the universe. Not you, Adam. The royal you. Human beings. You assume the universe is void rather than entertain the notion that whatever is out there is giving you the cold shoulder because of how atrocious you are. And again, Adam, not you. I'm talking about people. I have no idea what you're talking about. But first of all, you don't know me, okay? Second, why are you talking about people like you're not one? Are you so disconnected from the rest of civilization that you think you're not a person? Civilization? (laughs) Cute. By civilization, of course you mean the West. Specifically the Americas. Specifically Canada. Specifically this little oil town that got lucky and pretends to be a metropolis by exploiting the integrity of the land to turn a profit. That? Civilization? Trust me, most days I wish I wasn't. But you're thinking too small, little buddy. You're so close. Am I supposed to believe you? Or feel sorry for you? What are you saying? What is it that makes a person a person, Adam? Is it thumbs? Is it an overdeveloped prefrontal cortex? Is it the ability to weave a 400% profit margin out of raw materials that cost next to nothing by exploiting other people's labor? What inherent trait makes you so special? You can justify the devastation you've left in the wake of your progress. I'm saying I know everything there is to know about you. We've been listening for generations, and it's all so predictable. Nothing ever changes. This is going to sound absurd, but okay. What are you supposed to be if not human? I'm nobody, Adam. You'll forget about me just as quick as you met me. I feel strange. (laughs) Well, that's because you are. No, I mean, I'm lightheaded. Oh, damn it, food. I always forget to eat in this damn... Uh, uh. 
Just then, Isaac collapsed in a heap on the grass. It felt like it happened in slow motion, and in retrospect, I can't be sure that it didn't. I, I fumbled for my phone and called for paramedics. 911, what's your emergency? I'm on 6th Avenue and 1st Street Southeast. My friend just collapsed. I, I think he might be having a heart attack. Is your friend breathing? Uh, I don't know. I, I can't tell, but we need an ambulance now. I hung up and crouched down on the grass beside Isaac and said, The paramedics are on their way. And he managed a pained chuckle before meeting my eyes with his own piercing, wide-eyed gaze, pupils like black holes eclipsing his irises. And he pulled me close, and I was convinced I could feel the droplets, the spray, the germs when he spoke, but I couldn't pull myself away. His words were frantic, almost pleading, and he took shallow, gasping breaths at irregular intervals like a beached fish but he never pried his eyes away from mine. The universe isn't a dark forest, Adam. It only appears that way because people don't have the capacity to understand anything they can't directly perceive. Five senses. Imagine having ten, Adam. Think about it. Subatomic particles didn't exist until you invented microscopes. There was nothing outside of your known galaxy until you sent probes. There are 200 billion galaxies in this universe, Adam. 200 billion. There are that many stars in your galaxy. Imagine every star in the sky is the sun, but you can't because the sky above your city is like a dirty window onto the rest of existence. You've endowed yourselves with this grandiose sense of self-worth without knowing the full context of your existence in relation to all matter. You just miss anyone that doesn't look like you and wonder why you've never made contact with others. Even the deities you've invented for yourselves are these all-powerful beings that look just like you and blink the universe into existence, yet for some reason exist only to oblige your petty whims and authenticate wars over which anthropocentric fairy tale is the truth. As if you could possibly comprehend the full gravity of what it would truly mean if there really was one. I'm not a god, Adam. Don't misunderstand me. I just find it fascinating. You can barely conceive how small you are in the universe, yet you put yourselves at the center of it. What if humans aren't the superior animals they think themselves to be? That would change everything, wouldn't it? Or maybe it wouldn't change anything. Who's to say? But when this body dies, Adam, they will bury it, and I will make my way back into your soil, and the part of me that can grow will find a new host, and I will start again, because I haven't given up on you yet. Where I'm from, a birth ritual and a death ritual are the same, only in reverse. When you found me, Adam, I was celebrating. But I'm starting to think I may have been the one who found you. Can I tell you a secret, Adam? He pulled me closer to him, gripping my hands, as if I was the only thing holding him together. And even as the ambulance rounded the corner, sirens blaring, his words foregrounded everything. And it was as if the rest of the city was momentarily out of focus. He thrust his radio into my arms and pressed something else into my palm, something smaller, before two EMS responders ran towards us, radios hissing and chattering on their shoulders. I thought you said he was a friend, one paramedic said from behind his mask, and before I could ask what difference it made, they'd heaved Isaac onto a collapsible gurney, wheeled him into the back of the ambulance, and disappeared down 6th Ave. Once the ambulance was out of earshot, the city felt 
hollow, and the silence left in its wake was unbearably heavy. I could feel my heartbeat pounding in my head, in my hands. It was just me and the statues now, and Isaac's cart brimming with junk, overflowing with clothes and black garbage bags and empty cans and paperback novels. This was his entire life. Everything he owned. Everything that was precious to him. And for a second, I couldn't bring myself to just leave it. I looked down at the radio and unclenched the fist I'd made around the smaller thing he'd put there. That cloudy shard of quartz he'd worn around his neck. I buried it in my pocket. Took one last look at the statues in the caged island of trash that was his orphan shopping cart. Knowing somehow that this was the last time I'd ever see Isaac or his cart. Before mounting my bike and pedaling home, radio in tow. I got home that night and collapsed in bed, falling asleep almost immediately. I dreamt that everything was pitch black and I was swaying from side to side like on a ship, an inertia. A sense of weightlessness rocking backwards and forwards in a rhythm akin to walking. And a covering was pulled off my head and the world came screaming into focus. And I found myself 25 feet off the ground, staring up at the blank visage of a dented aluminum statue. Hair cascading behind her like muddied silk, cooing at me in the same buzzing, whistling tone. And I looked down at my hands to find they were the same beaten metal as the caravan of statues ambling northbound, stepping over cars, traversing the Edmonton Trail overpass like it was a quaint bridge over a still stream. And I called out. But instead of my own voice, I felt a rumble in my chest, a rattling in my throat like a wasp trapped in a tin can before everything went dark. I dreamt that I was wandering lost in the woods, the crystal tugging me by its twined tether, directing me like a compass needle. And the longer I walked, the brighter the crystal glowed, and the brighter it got, the hotter it burned until it singed the twine and the crystal fell to the earth, twitching like a worm before burrowing itself into the soil like a muscle at low tide. Still, I kept walking through the thicket of trees over felled trunks until I came to the literal edge of the forest. Roots and clods of grass tumbling over an endless black abyss peppered with stars and smears of blue galaxies and red suns. And from behind me, Isaac's voice whispered, Beautiful, isn't it? Causing me to lose my balance. And I found myself tumbling over the edge like a pebble dislodged from a cliffside. Only I wasn't strictly speaking falling because there was no gravity. And I opened my mouth to cry out. But instead, a radiant beam of light shone from my mouth. And I was suddenly back in the forest with a flashlight for a mouth. Wandering, lost, mouth agape. I I was running now, getting more unbearably hot with every stride. So I shed my clothes like a snake, but I was still boiling, and I caught sight once again of the edge of the forest, and I kept running, my muscles on fire, steam filling my lungs, ash filling my nose and throat, and I closed my eyes, and I held my breath and dove over the edge, and felt my body splash into a cool pool, relief literally washing over me, and in this calm state of nakedness, 
I opened my eyes in time to see the jaws of a giant fish closing around me. I woke up in a cold sweat with a fever and formist calls. Um, I slept through my alarms and missed my shift. I, I drank two full glasses of water and fell immediately back to sleep. I dreamt I was biking to work. Only the buildings on either side of me were the height of literal mountains. And the cars I shared the road with were the size of bungalows. And traffic sped past me in both directions. Like I was a field mouse at the heels of a stampede of wild, roaring wildebeests. And all I could do was pedal, choking on the acrid exhaust fumes that billowed from their rumbling tailpipes. And I pulled up to a menacing red stoplight the size of a fog light and turned to meet the cold gaunt gaze of a faceless driver three stories above me pounded out of aluminum staring down at me from behind the steering wheel when I, I woke, woke up, up. And it was still dark I was starving so I, I went to the fridge and made myself a sandwich tr trying to remember my dreams something about a bug in a can and before I could take a bite I heard a faint buzzing in the other room I went looking for it and found the radio on the floor beside my bed sputtering with static I tried to shut it off I tried changing the stations but nothing worked and the message remained the same Ready, ready to connect. Ready to connect. If anyone can, if anyone can, if tell, anyone can responsibility, responsibility to tell you responsibility to tell you and I looked down at the bed and noticed a figure nestled under the blankets. I pulled them back to reveal myself. With the radio crackling louder and louder, I held it against my ear. Not my ear, the me in bed's ear, trying to wake myself up. But I wouldn't stir. I shook the radio, but the buzzing had grown deafening, so I hurled it across the room. And it shattered against the wall into a million pieces. <sighs> I woke up and sat bolt upright. Shards of a shattered plate and half-eaten sandwich littered the floor. The morning sun radiating through the patio door like a lighthouse beacon. I pulled the curtains shut, tidied up the mess, and splashed cold water onto my face, convinced I was still dreaming. Convinced that the robot dipping Patricia Neal on the poster of the day the earth stood still would suddenly lift its laser gaze up to meet mine and bore a hole through my retinas and into my frontal lobe. But it didn't. I looked at my phone and my stomach sank. It was Monday. I had slept through the entire weekend. I, I panicked, thinking I might be sick, and that two years of being diligent about wearing a mask and washing my hands raw for 30 seconds every time I came into contact with the world had all been undone by one encounter with a man in a park. I called into work and was told to stay home and self-isolate until I could provide a negative COVID test result. For the next two weeks, I'd bike to the statues every afternoon, lock my bike around Abea's leg and sit on the grass in the middle of their static procession, waiting for Isaac to push his cart up behind me and ask unironically if I needed help. But he never did. 
After 10 days of this daily pilgrimage, I caught sight of what looked like a person curled up at the base of one of the statues. I leapt off my bike, dropping it on the grass behind me, heart racing, pulse knocking against my throat, and ran towards the statues, knowing it wasn't Isaac, but, but feeling hopeful. But as I got closer, I realized it was just a pile of leaves. I laid in the pile of leaves and gazed up at the statues for what felt like an hour, but must in reality have only been 10 minutes, trying to piece together faces in the cratered aluminum, trying to imagine what the figure was supposed to be thinking, feeling. At one point, musing to myself that for a statue pounded out of metal, it looked an awful lot like clay, formed rather than forged, by fingers rather than hammers. I don't know how long I laid there, but when I finally sat up to get my bike, it was gone. Three buses pulled up and refused to let me on with a fare. And, and in that time, the sky had changed its colors from the soft, steely blue of late afternoon to the chalky pink, burnt orange, and puffed gray streaks of dusk. The last bus of the night pulled up. You've got as long as it takes me to finish a smoke to decide if you're getting on or walking, kid. Sitting behind the oversized steering wheel was an ancient, impatient-looking driver. Slack eyes magnified behind a pair of Coke bottle lenses. A deadpan expression, like I was a wad of gum stuck to the underside of her shoe. An unlit cigarette dangling off the side of her lips. I'm so sorry to have to ask, but... I just had my bike stolen and I don't have bus fare. That's not a question, kid. But okay. Get on. Everybody gets one. I sat at the front of the empty bus watching the driver through the window, standing stock still, absently staring up into the sky, taking long drags off her cigarette, ash gathering at the tip like a fuse deep in thought, thinking about who knows what, before stepping back onto the bus and bringing the sour stint of the cigarette she had just finished with her. She kept looking at me from her rearview mirror, and I kept avoiding her gaze, but I knew I wasn't getting off the hook that easily. You should always carry change. I wasn't expecting to have to... Wait, what? I don't just mean for the bus. Plenty of good reasons to carry change, like pay phones. In case of emergency, you know, pay phones. They still have those, don't they? I don't think I've ever actually seen one. But I have a cell phone, so... Oh, well, isn't that just dandy for you? A cell phone? Of course you've got a cell phone. Everybody's got a damn cell phone. Let me ask you something. If you got a cell phone, why aren't you glued to it like the rest of the world? Well, I... I had a cell phone. It got stolen with my bike. So what? Now you're carrying around an old radio? Not sure I get the trade-off, to be honest. It belonged to a... friend. I'm trying to make it work. A broken radio, eh? Almost as useless as a working one, if you ask me. What's wrong with it? It's a long story. But the short version is that first, I couldn't get it to turn off. And now I can't get it to turn on. And I think, even though it's completely crazy and it doesn't make any sense, I think it's the reason I've been having trouble sleeping. And what the hell would make you think that? You get addicted to one of those late-night radio shows? No, it's nothing to be ashamed of. I went through that phase myself. Some of the people that call in are a few nuts short of a parfait, if you know what I mean. No. What? N never mind. It's <laughs> crazy. T 
the driver was smirking. <laughs> One of the benefits to wearing a mask is that you don't need to fake smile at people to reassure them that they haven't pushed a boundary, or that you're still interested in talking to them. Well, we can't know if it's broken unless we do a little surgery. Go ahead and pry the back off the panel. Don't worry, the real delicate stuff's on the inside, just like you. There's a screw. Takes one to know one, eh? <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. A screw, eh? The driver rummaged in her pockets and tossed me a dime. I wedged the side of the coin into the head of the slotted screw, and after a few turns, it came loose. Well, what's it got under the hood, eh, kid? What do its guts look like? I got an iron stomach, so don't spare me the grisly details. Looks like a miniature city, don't it? Like a topside, what do you call it? Aerial view. Buildings, roads, generators. Like a map. Um, sure, I, I guess. Looks like a few loose wires, a coil of copper wires wound up like a spool of thread, a black papery cone thing, I'm assuming is the speaker, a circuit board, a, a D battery, and some kind of... But this can't be right. It's a crystal. Never heard of a radio having a crystal in it. Mind if I take a look? She pried her eyes off the road for a split second to examine the bowels of the radio. And in that moment, I thought I noticed her expression soften into something reminiscent of a knowing smile before turning her attention back to the task at hand and resuming her very serious business of driving the bus. You know what this is, don't you? Can you tell me what it's for? Well, looks like your standard run-of-the-mill diode, or might be a fuse, never did figure out the difference. And seeing as that particular node's about as burnt out as an old wood stove, I'd say the electrical current's been interrupted. Ergo, needs replacing. But that's an old radio, and I doubt they even make parts for that anymore. I don't know how, but I know there's more to it. There's more you're not telling me. Okay, kid. Maybe you're right. Maybe I have seen something like this before. Maybe. Someone's rigged this crystal in place of a diode, switching out a monodirectional conductor with a kind of bidirectional superconductor. Because radios are only meant to work as receivers and can't transmit signals. But maybe this one can, because that's no ordinary hunk of quartz. Maybe it's a rare alloy. You can't find this side of Alpha Centauri with the capacity to conduct, compress, and transmit high-density electromagnetic currents on an intercellar scale, and has been for decades. Still, needs a transmission tower to amplify the signal. But I'll be damned if the blinking spire at the apex of the Calgary Tower doesn't look like a radio antenna. I don't know where you got it, or who your friend is, but they're a long way from home. Or hell. Oh, I know. Maybe I'm just a bus driver. But judging by your expression, I take it there's more you're not telling me. My friend gave me one just like it. Gave me his. And it's not all burnt. Curious. Well, if your friend gave you his, I wonder who's this one is. All the same. 
Looks to me like you got yourself a wire to a long-distance contact right there. How do you know all this? If you gotta ask Adam, you're not paying attention. Chalk it up to... Maybe I know a thing or two about... Radios. I... Never told you my name. Call it a lucky guess, little buddy. I thought about everything the driver had said as we passed the drop-in center and crossed over the reconciliation bridge. I thought about Isaac. I thought about the crystal he'd given me and how tightly he'd clutched it whenever he talked about his sister. This is my stop. Hey, listen, um, (laughs) thanks again for the ride. Next time, make sure you got some change. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Can't say I'm minded. Nobody talks to bus drivers. Don't get me wrong, most days I'm happy to be invisible. But it gets lonely never being seen. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. I think I do. It was nice talking to you. Nice talking to you, too, Adam. A fish. Before it occurred to me to ask what she meant, I got off the bus. And as I did, I noticed a ring on her forefinger. What looked like a piece of costume jewelry, inset with a polished, clear, opalescent stone. And before I could say anything, she offered an understated peace sign, the doors wheezed shut, and the bus rumbled off into the night. Lying in bed that night, I thought about the secret Isaac had told me just before the EMS loaded him into the back of the ambulance. The odds were infinitesimally small for you to begin with, and they're still infinitesimally small even now that you'll make anything of yourself. But Adam, when your species evolves past this childish rebellion, This adolescent fascination with superiority and power and greed and divisive hatred. We will welcome you like family into the universe's dark, satin embrace and you will find peace. Not an absence of war and suffering and pestilence and fear, but true peace, brother. And you won't be alone anymore. You will see your planet for what it is. A community. And you will understand what we have known for generations and what the few of you that have ever left your stratosphere and experienced the majesty of this little blue planet refer to as the overview effect. It's a cognitive shift, little buddy, a new perspective. You're all the same and you need each other. You're family. And until you figure out what it means to love someone other than yourself, and understand their needs is inseparable from yours. You can't truly know what it means to be family. So until that time, little brother, start by learning to love yourself. This morning, I woke up before the sun to the first snowfall of the season. I walked back to the park with the radio leaving a single trail of footprints in the fresh powder. Brushed snow off the placard on the ground before sitting on it, then set the radio backside up on my knees and pried Isaac's blackened crystal out of its slot. It was completely opaque. Which, somehow I knew, that meant that Isaac was gone. 
I fished the other crystal, your crystal, out of my front pocket and turned it in my fingers, feeling the edges, counting the sides. I held it up against the morning sunlight and a pale rainbow materialized on my hand. I slipped your milky obelisk off the twine, threaded Isaac's charred one onto it, then retied the knot and delicately wore it around my neck before pressing your crystal into the slot in the radio. <laughs> Which brings us to right now. I've been talking into this radio for little more than half an hour, and I've heard nothing but static. I don't know if you've heard any of this. I don't know if I look as ridiculous as I feel right now, but I owe it to Isaac to try. That's the reason I'm trying to contact you. I felt like it was my responsibility to be the one to tell you about Isaac and that I think he's probably... This is so unbelievably stupid. I'm sitting in the snow, rambling into a broken radio, like some kind of deranged... Hello? Hello? Abea? Oh, oh my god. Is that... Is that you? Welcome back to our world. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, we would really appreciate it if you left a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does go a long way to help others discover this project. This is the end of our first season of Explore. Thank you so much for joining us. If you want more of this show in the future, tell your friends about it. Spread the word so more can experience this show and we can create more content like it in the future. The overview effect was written by Constantine X. Anastasakis and directed by Andrew G. Cooper. It featured Kyle Gould, Valerie Planche, and David Snyder. This season of Explore was created and produced by me, Andrew G. Cooper. Skylar Desjardins is our production and technical manager. Sound design by Alexandra Kalman. Original music by Jonathan Lewis. And audio engineering by Kyle Marshall. Explore is produced by Jupiter Theatre with Media Lab YYC. This season is created and presented in Mokinstis, also called Calgary, in Treaty 7 territory. Thank you to all the stewards of this land, both past and present. We also acknowledge the support of the Canada Council for the Arts. Thank you for listening. If this is the last time you hear from us, have a nice life. <laughs>